What's going on, everyone? My name is Chris Tondewold, and this is Ambition Radio. This is a podcast where I interview indie artists, content creators, athletes, and small business owners who share how they continually discover and maintain a balance between their life, family, career, and the pursuit of their passions, dreams, or hobbies. In this episode, we feature Adam and Chris from the Virginia-based band Audio Strobe Light. We get into how the band was a byproduct of a booking company called Herpes, the waterfall approach to releasing music and how there are listeners for everyone, and creating a stage character that slowly but surely becomes who you actually are. I'll have all their links in the show notes. Make sure to keep up with Adam, Chris, and the rest of Audio Strobe Light for all new music coming out later this year. As always, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts, follow me on Spotify, and share the show if you can. Thanks for everything. Here's the show. Enjoy. Cool. So let's let's get kind of into it. Like I said, I want to kind of learn a little bit about the history of Audio Strobe, like how it became a band. But I definitely want to touch on all the, the great things you're doing with the, the ability to use technology to actually continue to be a band over the decade and a half that, that you've been. So if either of you would like to talk about kind of the, the inception of the band, I would definitely uh, appreciate that. Let's get started with that. Sure, I'll give the uh, Cliff Notes version because it is a, a long story from a long time ago. Yeah. So we were friends first. I posted when I was like 16 on this local band's message board, like, hey, anyone want to come together and you know build this website where we can have a community for local shows? We came up with a terrible teenage name for it. The area here is called Hampton Roads. Yeah. So we called it Hampton Roads Punk, Emo, and Ska, <laughs> uh, which has an acronym of herpes. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. So it was uh, me, uh, our friend, Stephen Flick. Uh, he was our first keyboardist. He brought in uh, Scott, and who is our drummer, mm-hmm. been our drummer the entire time. The three of us had a meeting at, at this record store. Uh, Flick knew Adam. He brought Adam in. I knew Gabe. I brought, I brought Gabe in. And uh, for a couple of years, we were a promotions company. We booked shows at pizza places and yeah. at YMCA's, you know, anywhere we could. Um, and promoted them and did the, you know, tried to do, you know, what was the goal of building this community? Yeah. So by the end of it, you know, everyone was kind of going away to college and uh, we decided we're going to book one last show and we're going to form a band and we're going to play on our last show. So we booked it at the Norva, which is like a 1500 cap venue. It's yeah. a beautiful, beautiful place. Yeah. Awesome place. That was our, where our first like official real show was. And um, yeah, we did like five songs and we were like, that was fun. And then we didn't stop. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be a super surreal experience having all the booking experience. And then you're like, you know what? I think we can play music too. And then doing it at the Norva. Like that's, that's insane to me. Yeah, um, it, was, it was fun. I said, you know, it was, it was real weird and just, it's so intoxicating. Like I, I joined the band later or I mean, I, I joined the promotions company, I should say, uh, a little bit later than everybody else. I kind of got at the tail end of the booking aspect and mm-hmm. I was just so hammered with, you know, because uh, herpes.net had booked a couple <laughs> couple gigs at the Norva. And so, and I remember like hanging out with these guys and they'd walk me in the front door into this incredible venue with major headlining acts in there. I'm like, this is crazy. Like, right. this is this is cool. Like, I... I, I play electric violin and electric mandolin for the band. And so like I'd not been a part of this world for very long, but just going to a couple local shows and like feeling that energy. And then, you know, playing my first show with a band, like at our at our first first gig at the Norva, you know, it, 
you just can't ever come back from that. No. Yeah. Yeah. That's got to be a high that you may have chased the entire time. I don't, I don't know. Like that's, that's such a, like a good starting point that I don't know how you get better from that. But it, it is interesting to me being from Southern Maryland, having that same kind of idea of building a community and having, I don't think I would ever call it herpes, but I mean, that's, I like it. It makes me <laughs> giggle. So that's good enough. But being involved in the community and trying to have that grow is, is such a, a big thing that's ingrained to me for sure. And then obviously like booking shows over the years and then doing this, this podcast, trying to give back in any way that I can. That's, that's been a really great journey all the way through. So that's an interesting thing that you started out actually booking and trying to build a community through there. Where, where was the idea for that? Was that just something where you... Because you guys weren't even really a band before that. So were you playing in other bands? Were you looking at, at being actually part of the full scene instead of just the, the booking side of it? So I definitely was. I've been playing in bands. I was like 11, 12. I joined my first band. We were terrible. But... um I had a band, I think, when we started, but it was more trying to get like promotions. I'd seen similar things in in other scenes yeah. uh, that people were doing. Richmond had a real a lot of sites that were, you know, everywhere at that time. I definitely, when we started, it, it there wasn't the intention of starting a band, but I I was in a band. Scott was in a band. I knew Gabe from playing in, in bands, but Adam, you were never you were not in a band before Strobe Light, right? No, uh, just orchestra, jazz band. You know, I, I did some fiddle stuff, but like, you know, n never imagined that this would be the case. But I had my electric already and I was itching for an opportunity to just try it with not twangy music happening in the background. <laughs> so obviously, the when you look at the parallels, yellow card and what you guys were kind of doing with the, the violin, obviously, that's that's the, the direct parallel that you can bring up. But my, my question for you is with playing in such a, like a, a structured orchestra style, were you looking for joining a band of any kind? Were you looking at trying to like break free from, cause you always, you always look at orchestras as very stuffy and very like violin is such a classic instrument too, that it's very rigid. So were you ready and willing to just like break free from that as soon as possible? A hundred percent. And there's there's nothing wrong with uh, orchestra life or or jazz band life or any any of that, but I I never I wasn't interested in being a world class session player or a world class just first chair violin and just play right. other people. You know, it, it for me identity has always been important. Like having your own voice is important. You know, uh, you know did a lot of writing all through high school and college, and you know it's all about you know, don't always put never open or close with someone else's words. And so as far as music, you know, that was important for me too. And I think that that's a, like, you know, Chris does most, if not an overwhelming majority of like the music writing. And, you know, I, I love his way of, of writing with and for me is, you know, it, the song comes first, whatever right. instrument and it can be whatever it wants to be. You know, I don't want to have to do run into that issue that yellow card ran into, which spoke about quite publicly of having to shoehorn, electric violin to every song. And, yeah. and I don't want to curling either where you're just noodling around playing classical music to like dubstep beats. <laughs> the, the art should come first. Like the, the message should come first. The, the song should come first. And, you know, I, I like pop music and pop rock and, and pop punk. And like, so it, it just, it just worked, you know, Chris, write me some parts, like, like we'll, we'll work on it. And, 
you know, I'll, I'll figure out what needs to happen. <laughs> and, and it worked out really well. Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. That, that's amazing. I always wondered about that because you have like what you were talking about, you know, that first chair, you, you think about Juilliard, you think about all these like the pinnacle of violin, but it's always other people's music. Mm -hmm. It's always the classics. It's always trying to get your rendition, but you always have to be perfect when you're playing it too, which is just an insane amount of pressure on top of everything else just to like be in college and like play on records for other people. Like it, it's, it's a little weird because you're you're never really like expressing yourself. Yeah. I feel like when you when you're doing that, right? Like you get the acclaim because you're technically great, but what can you actually do? Like can you put different notes together by yourself or do you have to like read the sheet? Right. I really like that and I I love that approach to to really like break free from that. I I also I I can't get away from the herpes of it all, but that's that's uh, another facet of it. That's just insane. <laughs> it's too good. <laughs> So talk about a little bit of that that community when you were starting to bring it up because for me Hampton Roads Virginia Beach that that whole area has always been a, a vibrant area for music. You know, we talk about the Norva, you you talk about just the the amount of people that are in there and there's so much good stuff coming from there and then you have Richmond which isn't too far away and Richmond is a, a very big music city too. So when you were making those connections and looking at that what was your your main goal? Did you want to book the Norva and these these higher capacity venues all the time, or were you really looking at the the little guy and bringing those guys up? Well, there was definitely a little bit of both. We definitely started with Little Fish, like I said, pizza places, YMCA's. I, I mentioned them earlier. Stephen Flick is one of the most go getter people I've ever met in my life. He's not one of those guys that like waits for like everyone to come together and be like, yeah. what are we gonna do? He like would reach out to the Norva and he, I mean, his energy is so captivating that I'm sure their first meeting with him, they were like, okay, yeah, you're, you guys are working here. <laughs> 16, 17 years old, mind you, like booking like people signed to Victory Records. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm thinking about as far as the age goes, because you, I don't know if you had to like have so much charisma that you were treated as like an adult. Like, I, I don't know how that works. Like someone actually trusted you enough. But that's the same thing with me. Like someone gave me keys to a building. Why? I don't understand that. I'm not responsible. Yep. It worked out okay. But like that is such a, a wild thing, especially for 16, 17 years old, like what you're saying, you know, that's that's such a, a high starting point, I feel like. Yeah. But I mean, like, like you said, it worked out. And uh, the, the fact was they started giving res responsibility and it was clear that, you know, he wasn't going to mess it up. Flick was running that show for, you know, for the most part, yeah. but at the same time, you know, they kind of treated him like a kid, you know, he got, <laughs> he got, you know, yelled at, he was the, the butt of jokes constantly. Like they, they, they ran him through, cut his teeth. Yeah. So to, so to speak. Yeah. But by the end, you know, they all had a lot of respect for each other. And uh, like, like Adam said, he, I mean, he ended up bringing in all American rejects. He didn't say, say anything. Uh, did we do, um, oh man, I'm totally, totally blanking. Uh, Circus survived. Yeah. Yeah, yep. that, that's yep. that's that's right. It was supposed to be say say anything, but then say anything dropped, and it was circus survive, and it was a whole whole story. But um, yeah, he was doing like big bands at sixteen, seventeen years old, and just and these shows were doing well. Yeah, and these are these are people that you already looked up to in the and in, in the style of music that you really want to play. I would assume too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we we were getting like experience seeing 
big bands, how they were loading in, how they were setting up, you know, how they were sound sound checking. And that's, you know, for a young band, that's huge information to see how this is going down, see how the people who are doing it at the level you want to do it are doing it. That's something we always did is try to take something from those people, those bands that were that next level, learn whatever we can. They're doing it right. We're not. (laughs) Yeah. My biggest pet peeve is no one getting off the stage in time. Drummers. Oh my, oh, they start (laughs) taking off the, oh no. If you're a drummer and you're watching this, as soon as the set's over, stand up, grab your stuff and just like get off stage. Yeah. And and your other members should help too. They should all grab drums, everyone. (laughs) Drummer, and then you get your own own crap off the stage. That's how Mm -hmm. it works. Yeah. Lo- loading, loading in to setting up. If you've got a 10, 15 minute setup, which Lord knows we've had hundreds of those, get all your members. Everyone grabs two drums. Boom. Get them up there. Sorry. I just, you, I'm sure running shows you've seen it a million times. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I also booked like metal bands too with yeah. double kicks. You have all the symbols for no fucking reason. <laughs> and you the just rack you. Holds all the different symbols. Yeah, yes. yeah. You don't need them. You, you and you look at them, and they're playing just the kick, the toms. They're playing maybe a china, and then you're looking at the snare, and then it's just like, what's all the other stuff doing? You guys bought all this. Are you going to actually use it or not? Nah? Yeah. yeah. And if you don't have like a chair that spins, I feel like you're, you're missing out on it for sure. Right. <laughs> we, we always used used to joke that like the bigger the kit, the worse the drummer. At, at, at like low, low level, you know, higher bands, obviously they normally use, if they got it, they use it, but yeah, you know, at like low level, like the bigger the kit, the worse the drum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, you know, looking back at it, you want to, you want to not equate it to a big ass truck, right? You want to not equate <laughs> it to, to that, that syndrome, but uh, it's, it's hard not to, when you're looking at it on stage and you're just like, why do you have that? One of my favorite shows that I've done was uh, in Waldorf at a, a place called Memories, which doesn't exist anymore. It was uh, one of my buddies from um, Human Room, which is a band out of Northern Virginia. The The singer was just like, let me show you how to get on and off stage. I'm going to actually help this next band. And he just took full control because he's been doing it for 10, 20 years, whatever. Took full control, got him off the stage in five minutes and got his band set up in another five. And it was just like the the turnaround and the way that the professionalism goes through, it's just on a, a completely other level. And when you see that as a booking agent, you completely appreciate it. Like someone that's actually running the show, you're just like, oh yeah, efficiency is nice. I like this. I don't want to stay here for another hour and a half just because people are running late and just setting up for no reason. That was always just like a nice thing for me. Now, I would assume then that would translate into your shows going forward after that first one, right? Yeah. Um, for the first few years, we weren't really much of a band. Um, while the guys were, were at college, they would come back for you know Thanksgiving break, spring break, summer break, even winter break. And we would always do stuff during those times. Summer would be the busiest. We'd go on you know, you know, two-week tours here and mm-hmm. there. But for those first few years, there wasn't a whole lot in, in terms of, of progress. So uh, we were playing some but not, not much. And we didn't really get much better. Um, <laughs> it wasn't until the guys then ended college and we really started like putting the nose to the grindstone that, you know, we started practicing regularly and, you know, writing songs more regularly and recording more regularly and then really touring more. Yeah. You'll get good real quick. Right. Yeah. I, I, I mean, you talk about setup, you, you know, we, 
I, what year was was Cornerstone? You remember Adam? Two thousand nine. Uh, the first Cornerstone. Yeah, it must have been two thousand nine. Yeah. So so we go out there, and it's this camping music festival out in like the middle of nowhere, Illinois. I don't know if you've you've heard of it. They stopped doing it a handful of years back, but we go out there, and we it was like this thing where like there were all these little like lots, and anyone okay. could set up a show. They called them generator shows because people just had a generator and a stage, and there were like fifty of them. And we would just walk around and ask if we could play. For during that week, we played anywhere between eight and twelve times a day, and we didn't. We had to carry our gear around the campsite and set up as quickly as we could, and, and just play, 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 play. And that's where we learned, like guys, we got to get quick at this. That's <laughs> like, insane. So you could. They were just like pop up shows. So this whole <laughs> fest was just a pop up show, and you could play probably like three or four times in a day, possibly. A situation like that, you learn a number of different things because, like, it was uh, it was the Christian festival primarily, but you know that didn't really pertain to the bands. I think it was fifty generator stages, like ten mid-sized stages that everyone was trying to fight to get on, and then like the main stage that would have like Anne Berlin and like crazy larger artists on. Wow. But okay. What you have to learn is like how to set up quickly and how to make everyone stop and pay attention to you. So like we we got really good at walking around the festival and just being very conspicuous, trying to be noticeable, like chanting slogans in costumes. I'm walking around with my electric <laughs> violin and stuff. Get everyone to like, like you you lead them like the Pied Piper over to your stage. You know, you you joke around with every like we got really good at like that warp tour game. Yeah. You, you, know, you, you try to have a presence, you try to walk around and make friends. And then you you just create this little animal magnetism that lures people to your stage. And I think that's something that's translated to us to any show out of town that we play of like, we now have a system of like, this is what we do in order to build relationships and build that community that you're talking about. Right. Not just about your hometown. You have to build a community everywhere you go and build like a little family everywhere. And that's that's one of the very first things that I think we really learned at Cornerstone is how to make a lot of friends and how to build a community and how to make them love your music, even if they haven't heard it yet. And how to stand out as well when there's a million bands. Like we, I'm sure you, you know, from booking, you'll see so many shows where there's like seven bands, maybe like four locals and like three out of towns. These people there, most, maybe none of them have ever heard of you. And I mean, you got to stand out. We've seen bands that are just timid and they sit behind their merch table the whole time. And then they get up and play and no one cares. And then they go back and they sit at their merch table. And then at the end of the night, they're like, what? No one cares. It's like, <laughs> you you got to get out there and talk to people and, you know, make, make friends, make relationships. And we've had so many shows where we've never been there. We don't know anyone. And when we go on, it's like everyone there is like, oh, did you hear this band? Like they're going to play. It's going to be all-. like, Adam's right. We learned a lot of that there, like for yeah. sure. And that's a skill and they don't teach it to other bands. Right. And you you know what's funny about that? So I I think that's even like more heightened the the few Comic Cons, like comic conventions that I've been to, because you just go aisle by aisle by aisle, right? And as a person going through there, you're just waiting for something to pop out at you, right? You're just looking for either an artwork or whatever. But the ones that really make a difference and really make a lasting impression are the ones that actually talk to you. Like, like, hey, can I talk to you? Do you mind looking at my stuff? Like, whatever it is. And having that personal connection in there immediately just draws you in. Mm-hmm. So I'm even thinking about like that, that camp fest that you're talking about, just being able to mingle with other people and also come off like genuine and like not 
just asking or, or begging for attention, right? You, you want to make actual connections because like what you're saying, Adam, you want to foster those different communities to where you can actually go back yeah. and like have people and grow that stuff in there. So I, I really like that. And I, I think that's it's a very important lesson that not a lot of people know uh, right out of the gate for sure. Did that come from your, your own booking experience through the, the promotions company or did that just come from what you guys saw out in the wild? That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, we like like I mentioned earlier, we were always looking at bands that were bigger than us, even like locally, like the bands that were doing weekend warrior tours yeah. when we weren't, and trying to see like what they were doing right. And there were bands like Mile High School and No Talent Show that were doing this. They were out there talking to the people, you know, before shows, and we would see them, and you know, they're making friends. And that's how we got into this whole circle. You know, they would would invite everybody at the show to come party afterwards. Yeah. And it was just like a, a continuation, mm -hmm. actual friends from this. And yeah, we, we saw bands doing that. We were like, we can ban that to a, you know, broader market, you know, and we're willing to get out there and tour unlike some of those bands who are, um, but you know, one of the funny, funniest examples of, of this happening was actually in Southern Maryland. Yeah. Our first show ever there. This was probably around 2009. I don't know if you, if you were familiar with this place, it was a place called, the Hyperspace Fun Center. Of course. Yeah, it is a okay. used car lot now. But I think, oh, really? yeah, yeah, I think that's actually one of the first times that I saw you guys was at, was at hyper, Hyperspace. Well, we played there one time, so you might have yeah. been at this show. We actually played twice, and that's what this, this story is about. Mile High School got us the contact for Fred Heather. We contacted Fred Heather. We're like, hey, we know this band that, that plays with you. Can we play? <laughs> and he goes, uh, yeah, I got, I got a festival like this weekend. And we're like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we go up there. It's the middle of August. It is ridiculously hot. Like it's like a hundred something degrees. Doesn't feel good ever. Terrible. And it's like, it's in a parking yeah. lot outside. Not cement. Yeah. Asphalt. Yeah. yeah. So we, we play like early. I think there's like a couple high school bands and then we go on. It's like, there's maybe 20, 30 kids there. They're like saying, they're like, we like this. <laughs> and like, <laughs> we, we get off stage, we, we do our set and like we're just talking to people, we're just hanging out. Everyone's inside. I don't know if you if you remember that. They're yeah. AC inside. Yeah. So everyone's like not watching the bands. They're just hanging out inside. So we're just making friends, talking to people, talking to people. Uh, Fred comes up to us. He's like, "Hey, one of the bands later dropped. Do, do you guys want to play again?" And we're yep. like, "Yes, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. <laughs> we definitely do." All, all, all of a sudden, all these friends were made. We're like, "We're playing again. We're playing again." And they're like, "Oh my god, it's great!" So like, it's gonna be at this time. We're playing at six thirty or whatever sure, time yeah. it was. So they start calling their friends. And I'm not joking. When we played that second set, there were like four times as, as many people. Like it was like a packed crowd. And it was like they like knew us somehow. Like right. everyone's jumping, going crazy. Yeah. And that's just the difference like in one day that you can make just by getting out there talking to people. Like your energy is important. Your message is important. Like Chris said, he played in bands before, before we started this band. I didn't. You know, I remember Flick was like, yo, dog, you got to... Like I went to a prep school, like I was, I was very preppy and he was like, you gotta, you gotta get on brand. And you know, I oh. like, this was before skinny jeans, like were a thing. So like, you took me to the mall and we like bought women's jeans. They're like, you're in the wrong section. I'm like, no, I'm in the right section, bitch. You don't know. <laughs> he drug me into it. And was like, you need to have a persona. You need to have a character. Like you need to do, do that. That stuck with me. And you know, we're all kind of like nerdy goofy guys like you know we're, we're music nerds 
that was the very first exercise of like, who do you want to be? Like, who should you be o- over the years? Like, that's something I think we as a band has conti- have continued to develop is like, yes, this is based off of like a, a number of grains of truth of who we are, but we crank that volume all the way up and working out that muscle memory of like, this is who I am. You know, you, you, you get used to like, you know, you get your keyboard player in a Scooby-Doo costume and he's out there <laughs> running around the hyperspace fun center. Like I'm going up to like these like 16, 17 year old kids, just like being in character and just joking around with them and having fun. Be like, yo, you caught the first set. Just wait till you see the second set. <laughs> like it was always kind of there for me and for the rest of the guys. But, you know, we made a deliberate effort that, you know, we have to be the kind of people that people want to spend time with. It, it takes time. You know, some people just are born like that. Like, uh, I, I don't know. Some 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 of those people, those Freddie Mercury type of people, just like that's just who they are. Some of us actually have to exercise those muscles and practice those things right. in order to be good at that. And a lot of people never exercise their character, exercise like who they want to present themselves to people that are in front of them. They don't think about that. They just write the music. That is very very important. It's also really cool to hear that as like a a young view of it because of how early on that was. Because you're looking at it and, you know, the flick already has that kind of idea that you have to like put on a show for these people. This is a band is more than just music. It is the full entertainment aspect of it. Right. So, you know, you have your full merch, you have your your experience, you have your personal connection, have your message that you want to get out. But it's really, you know, about that community, too. So if you're not putting that that energy out. And if you are hiding just behind a merch table and just hoping that your art speaks for itself, doesn't really do that a whole lot. Like that's you kind of mm-hmm. just luck into that without doing any of the work with that for sure. Do you do you want to know a secret? Yeah, Chris, uh, if you're okay with it, I'm going to share with him the, the secret of our set list. Sure, I don't even know the secret of our set. Oh, like yeah, go ahead. This <laughs> was a compliment that came to us from like one of my buddies who's a music producer the other day. Like he he and one of his friends had seen us after we opened for Saves the Day. They, they were drunk and whatever. They're like, you guys were way better than Saves the Day, which, you know, I love Saves the Day. That's the, like, I could have slapped him. <laughs> but like, I understand after, after hearing his compliment, like understood why it's because he really liked our set, which I think a lot, of, a lot of bands don't think about. Everything we do from when we step foot in the building is geared towards relationship building and to getting people to feel like they know us. And, to, and for us to try to meet and connect with as many people as possible. And like with our set list, like it's all very deliberate. And I think a lot of bands don't do that. Like you open with your best opener, like the, the best, like one song impression. That's like, like for us, you know, we'll have like a fun intro, something you, hopefully something you don't expect. So like you put your phone down, you're like, what is this? Oh crap, <laughs> they're coming out guns blazing. And then you, then you go into another solid song. Cause like if your second song sucks, then clearly you're not, yeah. <laughs> you know, like you have to one, two punch yeah. to win over people be like, okay, it wasn't just a fluke. The second song's good. Usually like right around three or four, we'll, we'll do a cover, but right. you know, never, never more than one. Cause we're not a cover band, but that's for all the people that are like, you know, my violin teacher always said people will always want to hear what they already know versus something that they've never, never heard before. So you got to play something, but you want it to be your version of it because you want them to be like, oh, that's cool. They did their own little thing with it. And then you go back into another banger, like, oh yeah, you still like our originals. Like, you know, you have your talking points in between where you try to engage them. Sure. But then like, you'll do like, after that, that's when people start pulling out their phone again, because like, they're getting bored. They're like, I, I, I don't really know any of these songs. So you do a crowd participation part. You do something 
where you're like grabbing the kids by like their shirts and like screaming yeah. in their faces or like Get some clapping, stage diving whatever, or yeah, like yeah. climbing the rafters, like something that they're going to pull out their phone and take a photo. Then we'll usually do like a, a slower song and then into like the, the big single or something like that. So like at every juncture of the, the set, there's something different that's happening. So, so your brain doesn't, doesn't settle into autopilot. Like every time that you're about to pull out your phone and start texting your friend, something happens that makes you look again. I always say these, these days a lot, like it's so much more important to be memorable than it is to be perfect. Yeah. If you want to hear it perfect, it's on Spotify, iTunes, Pandora, like whatever. If you want to go to a show, if you want to see us, if you want to want me to accidentally spit on your face, like it's going <laughs> to, it's going to happen if you're in the front row, like. Hopefully not during a pandemic, but. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. No. <laughs> no, not I mean, if you can figure out how to spit through all the internet cables, go for it. Like that's, that is a fucking <laughs> skill. I think mm-hmm. as a person that has booked shows, I have gotten into a bad habit of not enjoying shows, but more judging them. The entire time. And I feel like that's a lot of people because they're especially if it's not something that they know. So yeah, like DC has a really bad habit of not showing up until it's a band that they know. Yeah. So the opening may not get anything, but I always go in and I try to go for the whole the whole experience. Right. And you, you see some bands just trying their asses off. Right. They're putting on everything. And those are the ones that really stick with you. Right. You always want that next thing to say, okay, you guys impressed the hell out of me. Where where are you going next? Because I I definitely want to be there because this is so entertaining. You don't have to be perfect. Shit happens. We're all human, right? Electronics suck, by the way. Like everything mm-hmm. is that can go wrong will go wrong. So having that kind of participation there and making sure that the audience is engaged and being cognizant of that is amazing because I don't think any young band really knows that. Do you think, because because you guys were talking about how you went to college and then came back, do you think that level of maturity that you may have developed through your college years helped build the, the kind of aspect of the band to have that go and more mature mindset too? So I, I was I was one of the ones that, that went, went away to the school. I don't necessarily think it's because of school. But I do think that if you're the kind of person that can find value in whatever you're doing and try to make connections, because like I, I did go to business school, but you know I, I might have learned more on the road with Chris and the guys than right. I did in business school. But like I'm better at business because of what we learned with trying to connect with people with audio strobe light and vice versa. Like I, I, I it's a lot of the stuff that we were doing with audio strobe light in business school, and like had a lot of, and I'm I'm using a lot of the techniques that use with the band and other business ventures like right now it it is awesome you know you just have to be the kind of person that's trying to find those connections and if you're willing to do that and you're cognitively thinking about you know how does this apply to my main passion or my art if you're if you're willing to think about what you can do you know those are the people that are really successful not you know that that's what we're we're trying to do just like the next next one but like it's it's all about what can I MacGyver out of these random life experiences <laughs> right. that I have? <laughs> right. And always come off genuine, right? Like those personal connections and the ones that you're seeking out, they're not just because you want to like get more money or it's not because you really want to like take advantage of anybody or anything like that. It's because you you genuinely want to build these relationships because those relationships ultimately pay dividends. Whether it's just that 
that relationship and just the satisfaction of having that connection, or it might actually build into something bigger and better overall, right? So looking at it and and seeing, I would even say like the 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 group of people that you had that came back after college and now have 15 years later, you guys are still more or less connected and, and being able to do, I think, pretty amazing work during a pandemic. Yeah. All of, all of that is uh, amazing. And, and having that, that kind of business mentality, just, just looking at it and saying, okay, I can pluck these experiences and fold it into what I'm learning and vice versa. Like that, that is amazing because not everybody hits that part to where they can actually make what they're passionate about successful. Yeah. And, and there's, there's no manual for that for being in a band. Every single band thinks if I can just headline this one really big venue and the right person sees me. Like if, if, you know, if we had a dollar for every time someone had this pipe dream or think like, if I can just get this many streams on Spotify, everyone falls into that trap and everyone goes to the same, oh, I'm an idiot. Like that, that was never going to happen. If you're doing this for money, you know, if, unless you're, I don't know, unless you're Selena Gomez or Lady Gaga or somebody, you know, you're you're not gonna see a whole lot of lot of money unless you're really clever and creative with it. And I think we all would have quit a long time ago if 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 we were in it for the money. But you know, we got a tweet yesterday, Chris. I don't know if you saw it from Ben Mason, who ha- has been a f- fan of ours for and a close friend as well for over a decade, if not the entire lifetime of our band. But you know, he tweeted, "I don't think I ever told the guys this, but right before I went on under heart surgery, I listened to." what you're running from for that entire entire window of time. It was the only three minutes and 30 seconds that I wasn't scared of dying. You know, I was just like pumped up and feeling good. And, you know, like I just wanted to burst into tears right there. You know, he never, I can't believe he didn't tell us that this is years later, you know, after we released the album, the song, but like, that's why you fucking do it. Just because this guy's the last thing he wants to listen to before going under for heart surgery is your song. Are you kidding me? Like, I, I like, that's the kind of thing that never gets old. Right. And like, you can't fake, fake that shit. Like you can't just send the same message to everybody in their DMs and like build connections like that. Like we were just lucky to find him as a person and that he was at the right show at the right time and talk. Yeah. Great, great dude too. Like that's, it's, it's one of those things like there are a lot of people who, you know, we met, you know, out of, out of town, we just needed a place to stay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then years later, they end up inviting us to their wedding. There's, you know, multiple people that that's happened with because we, we have legit made friends yeah. doing this. There's something that happens when you go out there and try to make relationships, you end up doing it. You know, <laughs> like we've got a lot of people that, and you know, it was, it, it's been situations where even before the, the pandemic, where we would only, we would go years without seeing them. And then we'd see them and it's just like old times. You just get right, right back at it. And you have little families in all these different pockets of the country and then sometimes we'll do like a big, you know, local show and all these people that we've been friends with for years and years are meeting each other for the first time. We're like, you guys don't know each other. How is this possible? Like, <laughs> yeah, we just started the started the band discord, which you're welcome to join. Like yeah. we're, we're, we're just kind of inviting all the people that want to be part of the, the fam to join the discord. And it's been so cool during this pandemic because like, you know, I'll be emotionally burnt out for the day and don't feel like talking to anybody. And you'll just see it popping off with someone from Maryland and someone from New Jersey and somebody from, you know, your own backyard, just talking about WandaVision or whatever else. (laughs) And you're like, that's cool. Like I never thought that people would ever know each other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, 
the the internet has has been you know the the greatest equalizer I think out of out of all of this. So that connection piece and and being able to foster those online communities is definitely important. I don't know if it's as important as that face to face, but it is it is pretty close. There's like a one A one B kind of deal. The people that succeed are going to be the ones that really figure out how to be personal and real via the internet. I think that's one of the hardest parts because you're already yeah. disconnected from other people, right? You're already separate from other people. That warmth is already kind of gone. But the other side of that is like I grew up in message boards. I grew up in, you know, searching for all this weird ass punk rock from the 70s and 80s and, and trying to like be part of those communities and you know, I remember going to uh, a Mission of Burma concert when I'm 16 and then like being accepted by this 50 year old that's that's been around since they started because they were around in 76. Like just that that ability to really connect with generational gaps in there, too, is just insane. So I, I really like that. And I think it, it's a cool thing probably for you guys a lot just to see the community talk to each other and build. Right. Yeah. It's, it's the only reason why anyone might care about a song that we release, you know, four or five years after the last one. If your entire fan base is reliant on trendy people, then they're going to go with the trends. If, if it's based off of your extended band family, you know, family's family. And it's one of those things too, where like you were talking about with the pandemic, like the way you promote music has changed so dramatically. Yeah. Like we, we can't go out there and DIY tour right now. I don't see us ever returning to that, honestly, because it's just, it's a different game now. Like we have to build a good online solid community. And, you know, now those personal connections, we have to find a way to make them online. That That's going to, like Adam said, that's the difference between, you know, whether you're going to be successful or not moving forward. Shows will come back, you know, who knows when. I hope so. Both hopefully sooner than later. I miss, like you were saying earlier, how, you know, you get to the point where you're kind of like jaded on shows or standing <laughs> yeah. in the back, you know, but man, I don't think that's going to be me, you know, for for a little while <laughs> when shows start coming yeah. back. <laughs> yeah, you got to go balls to the wall yeah. and like enjoy it, right? Yeah, because now we know what it's like to not have it. Yeah, it's been my escape for so long and not having that escape this year, just like so many other people. It's been very, very rough to, to say the least. I do want to kind of touch on you know, the two records that you have. And then the third one was kind of like a... a different take on the other two, I feel like, right? And then mm-hmm. yeah. jumping forward to the the new stuff, I want to touch on that. So let's circle back a little bit because we were talking about you guys playing shows 2009, 2010. And then I think you released the first record around 2013. Is that right? Or 2011? Yeah, 2010, 2011, somewhere in there. Yeah, I think whole shebang I came think. out around then, right? 2009, 2010, yeah, maybe. that sounds right. Because what, what You're Running From came out 2012, 2013. We, we recorded 2012, I think came out 2013. Yeah, that's that's correct. Yeah, that, that was when we we first started like actually writing decent songs and going into like actual studios. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, there was definitely a step up. Like we, we really started getting out there and touring more um, and recording the, both those records were, I mean, super fun experiences, sure. So talk to me a little bit about the writing process talking about your first show you only had like five songs and then you guys separated to go to college to pursue whatever and then coming back did you feel like that chemistry was there almost right away writing is something in this band that has evolved dramatically over the year when we first started 
I just had songs written. We played one song from a previous band that I was in. We did two other ones I wrote. I think Gabe wrote one and then we did one cover. Huh. Um, and it was just songs that we we had. We're like, we got these. Let's just do them. For a long time there, we were doing the collaborative thing where, you know, typically I would bring an idea and then we would all work together to, to, to kind of build on them, uh, which is a, a fun process when everyone is like, at the same level of creativity. But then sometimes it's hard when people go in different places. Uh, I found that it ended up making the process take a lot longer. Huh. So we ended up not releasing much for a very long time. You know, we had the, the two albums, but like both of them, it was always a struggle like to try to fill the, the, the record. Like we need more, we need more. But it's continued to, to evolve. And especially now during the pandemic, or I've had a lot of time alone. <laughs> like I've written like 17, like full songs, ready to go, full everything. Like, and we've started tracking and like things are sounding really cool. And it's just, it feels different. Like we're not, there's not a back and forth. It's just like, here it is. Let's do it. And I feel like the process is going to be much, much quicker. And I feel like moving forward, maybe that's, maybe that's the way, this is the way. Like um, maybe I've, I've, uh, I, I've been listening to this songwriting podcast, honestly. Yeah. It's uh, really changed my understanding of songwriting. And I really opened, like, I, I used to feel like I was kind of cheating. And this, okay. this is going to sound weird. I'm going to go off a little bit here. But because um, in a lot of sense, like, I, I, I don't write my songs. Like, I do. But it's not like I sit down and I'm like, I want to write a song about this. Sure. It's like I pick up a guitar and something just comes to me and all of a sudden there's words and I don't know where they're coming from, but I'm just writing them. I'm putting them in, in my notepad. And I, I, it's like, I, I'm, I'm translating this gibberish that's just popping in, in my head. And I, I used to feel like, like, this is wrong. Like, <laughs> I'm not, where's this coming from? Right. But then I started uh, Jim Adkins from Jim, uh, Jimmy World. Okay. has a great podcast. It's called uh, Past Through Frequency. And he talks with other songwriters from other bands about how they do it. And I start realizing they're all doing the same thing. Like this isn't cheating. Right. This is this is songwriting. <laughs> like, yeah. I've been like confusing myself into, into thinking that I was doing something wrong. Um, and now, like once I've like accepted that and just like like let it open, it's like the floodgates are just like flo like flowing, and it's like songs are just coming at me quicker than ever ever. Like I'm, I'll sit down for two or three hours and like come out with this tangible song. Like I'm the most amazing thing. It's unlike anything else because. Literally, it comes from nothing. Yeah. Like songwriting. It comes from nowhere. What is that? It's almost like capturing just the emotional moment at that point in time. Whatever, whatever is coming out, like you're able to almost bottle it sonically, right? Yeah. That's, that's the Mozart effect. He almost never tweaked anything. He would just write. He would sit down and just write the whole song. Unlike Beethoven, who is notoriously like, like scratching things out and throwing it away and starting all over and tweaking, 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 tweaking. But nah, Child Prodigy, Mozart, he just heard the song and just wrote it down. It's annoying. I yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, you know, when, when you have someone that is so fine tuned and is trying so hard and then you're just like this other person and just like, look what I can do. And, and it's just like an insane amount of talent that is just like, shouldn't be able to do that. Why, why does your brain work and mine doesn't? Or why does mine overthink and overanalyze and I can't be as free as you like can I steal part of your essence and then put it into mine I, I don't I don't know how that works but I, I think you can like I, I think I've been able to 
by accepting the fact that this is normal, I, I've shifted and I'm doing a lot less revisions. And I've talked to the guys like, guys, I want to do a lot less, you know, like rewriting, 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 writing, because we take four years and all of a sudden we have a song that's entirely different than where we started. But is it better? Right. Like it's different, certainly. But if we had four years ago, just been like, this is it. Let's roll with it. Would we have been happy? Would we have been listening back and be like, you know what we should have done? Rewrote that entire song. Like, would we have done that? I don't know. And not only that, but you're in a completely different position in life too. And also the music market is different too. You know, you're, you're rewarded for releasing a lot quickly. You know, people aren't waiting for your next big album two or three years. You know, like I think of like brand new, I would just be waiting, yeah. you know, waiting for, the, for their album to drop, leaving all their like clues online and trying and like mixing up their album artwork and you're sitting there on the computer trying to figure out what it is we just don't have that level of anticipation and payload anymore it's you know you're you're rewarded and the algorithms are will reward you for putting out content and i'm kind of excited about that process and especially because you know a lot of the new stuff is dynamic it's not all in one lane and I'm okay with that because who listens to the same song and the same kind of song all day, every day anyway? You know, we want to write good music for a lot of different circumstances. Right. You know, like one of, one of my favorite bands for a long time was Four Years Strong. But, you know, my, my joke about Four Years Strong is they basically wrote the same sentence over and over and over again. Yeah. Like it didn't progress through a story. It's like, if you want to get hyped and you want to like feel like you can conquer the world, put, put in a Four Years Strong album. But like, if you're looking for like, this experience is going to put you in a different place from where you started. That's not the album. Right. And, you know, I think we're in a position now where like, you know, we can have a little something for everybody. And like, if this isn't your smash hit, the next one might be. Yeah. I've completely like given up on genre constraints. I will write whatever. Yeah. Like piss off. Like if, <laughs> if I want to write, you know, a reggae song, I can't, if I want to write a country song, I can't like for so long, it was like, yeah, but we got to make sure, you know, it's, it, it's you know the, the pop punk demographic yeah. or whatever, but now it's like, dude, I I I want to write whatever. If I want to write songs with EDM elements, I'm going to. If I want to write pop songs or you know whatever, whatever I want to write, I'm not limiting myself or trying to fit anything. This is what it is. This is what it's going to be. And if you don't like it, tough. Like <laughs> there are other bands. That's why you want a family, not a fan base, is because you know, like sometimes they just want to see what you're creating just because you're creating it. That right there is, is the piece, right? Like you, you always just want to feel like you're validated or that, you know, people are going to support you either way while you're trying to push the boundaries of yourself, right? That's the biggest part. Like you're, you're not stuck in this box. Uh, I was going to ask you, Chris, you know, did you, when you were first writing, did you feel like you had to stick to a formula? And it kind of sounded like you did where you had to still be within this pop punk range. But the, the counter to that is the, I think the third record that you did is just a different take on your same tunes, right? Which I think was really, really cool to be able to reimagine it and, and see a different look and see a different feel and show the progression as artists for yourselves, right? Yeah, we, we, we called it a reimagined retrospective where originally the idea was let's just do an acoustic album. And then we just can't ever do anything simple. It, <laughs> I'm not joking. There were like some of those songs have 50, 60 tracks because we we're like, all right, we need strings. We need horns. We need all the percussion. We need, I mean, we brought in like horns and like, we like, 
we actually tracked a lot of it. Uh, and I mean, we went way overboard, yeah. spent way too much time on it, but it, it came out pretty, pretty good. But that's one of those examples of we just wanted to do a simple little thing and ended up going crazy with it. We're, we're bad at it. Sound, it sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> we are bad at simple. I like that. I'll- but no, it, it's cool. Yeah. And I, I think to, to what Adam was talking about too, and I would assume this is like a, a, a prevalent thing for you guys, is always trying to put out content, but also in different mediums too. So trying to engage online and being able to separate yourselves from the crowd, you have to look at, at different avenues, right? So music videos are still a thing. Music obviously is still a thing, but instead of doing a huge drop all at once, you can build out these little singles throughout time and keep the focus and the engagement up kind of like your set list, right? Yeah, absolutely. And like we're we're still figuring out, you know, plans for the for the future. Obviously, it's funny, right before this this pandemic, we had really like gotten our gear, but gotten motivated. We're like, we're gonna get things rolling, like for real. Like, let's give this a good push and try d- different things and reapproach a lot of things. And then the pandemic happens, obviously. And you know, everything's just like shut down for forever. But uh, in a way, there's like a silver lining of I wrote like song after song after song after song. And like what we have, what we're sitting on is so much better than what we were sitting on in January of last year. So that's a good thing. Uh, but, but yeah, the silver, silver lining is that we wrote a bunch and that we have better stuff now. We're, I mean, the, the, the whole goal of this time, of, of this pandemic has been f- figuring out how we can do it better. That's what I think we've done. We've built a better process and we're going to be getting things out quicker. We're going to be creating new, new content yeah. in a better, quicker, faster way, more efficient way than we ever have. I mean, Adam has learned so much over the, this past few months about bit, music marketing. And it's, it's, it's like he said, it's a different game now. It really is. You, you have to adapt. You know, you're talking about singles and, and not, not wanting to do a, a huge drop. And it's been happening from like the major label side. And like, we're all starting to learn how to do that. Uh, the waterfall technique where you're releasing an album on your streaming sources, but you're releasing one song at a time. And then there are ways that, you know, if you do enough Googling, you can find out that when you release the rest of the album, then all of a sudden it pulls all the singles together into, into one album. And so the idea is you release a song, you let everyone just pay attention to that one piece of art, like, cause now is different than it, than it was however many years ago where we had longer attention spans, you know, with TikTok and Vine and like all these other things that come and gone, you know, our attention span is so much shorter. So it's so much easier. And I would make the case more effective to just pay attention to this one song. Um, maybe a month later, maybe two months later. Now check out this song and then this song. And, and as you waterfall the album, it starts populating the album as you release. So like the third track will come out, they listen to that single and then they go back and listen to the other two songs. So you're getting more streams on the other two songs. And like they're continuing to build a relationship with the rest of the album. You know, it's, you're literally spoon feeding people an album and yeah. giving everyone the opportunity. It's like, just close your eyes and just taste this one song and, and tell, tell me what you think of this one instead of just getting distracted by the fact that there's 12 other tracks that you're going to have to eventually taste and go through. Now, do you think that can actually be a detriment? the art of making an album because you have like concept albums, right? You have full stories in there, but there is that, that dire need really to break yourself from the crowd and get the attention on you. So it is that balancing act, right? So yeah. How do you contend with that at all? I mean, I think it's a huge problem. Yeah. Concept albums are definitely going to be 
you know, more difficult to execute, you know, especially because we're all rewarded from just releasing a bunch of singles. It's a little challenging for the environment right now because you're rewarded for being a lot like other people. Right. You know, you, you can be financially successful if you get picked up on big playlists from like these streaming sources or whatever. But the best way to get on there is to sound an awful lot like people that are already successful on there. So like, if you're a punk rock guy and you want to get on a big punk rock playlist, write a good punk rock song. Don't write a good punk punk rock song that has some weird J-pop breakdown in the middle. Like <laughs> it's not going to work. And people are going to say, sorry, that's too weird for my playlist. So it's like we're almost in, we're conditioning people to be less creative because you, you're people like some of these artists that are chasing after the playlist just want to write stuff that'll fit there. And it's the same thing with with concept albums because you know you might have like this really weird like but awesome, strange track that like goes in well in between the two bangers. But you know now it doesn't have as much of a place if you're doing releasing singles at a time. And then of course, like if you say screw it, I'm going to be a real artist and release an album. Well, then all of a sudden, a lot of people are just not going to make it to that track four or five or six. Like they're just not. And if you have a single in there, it's definitely not going to blow up on on streaming unless you've you really put in a lot of work and effort into it. It's, you know, it's just, I don't know. I think a lot of bands and artists will say it's bad. Some people will say it's good, you know, because we can reach whoever the hell we want at any point in time. If we're just to figure out how we're going to, what lane we're going to choose in this weird, different world that we're continuing to build around us. Yeah. I mean, whether it's bad or good is, you know, Kind of subjective. I I think like we talked about earlier, it's it's different, and I feel like yeah, it's it's funny. You know, when I was a kid, again, like the CD was the thing, like the the full album experience, yep. and you know, I would listen to CDs on on repeat. You know, uh, I I would love the, the the transitions, the way songs would you know go into it to each other and whatnot. And there is a certain element of that being lost that makes me sad, but at the same time, like you said, you got to evolve and. You know, especially with the new stuff I've written and how all over the place it, it is, there, there is a lot less cohesion and a lot less ways that the songs would work together back to back to back. Kind of, you were listening to them, you'd be like, "This is all over the place." So, in some sense, the the single, you know, way of doing it, I, I think for this next batch, will you know, kind of kind of work out for us. We'll we'll we'll, we'll see. I think yeah. it's always, especially with the internet, you know, it has the ability to connect some, but it also has the ability to alienate and isolate the same kind of people too. So kind of like what you're talking about with the playlist and and writing for those specific things. You know, you have bands like Baby Metal, for example, where it is that K-pop, J-pop stuff, but mixed with metal. And that's just such a big anomaly, right? It doesn't fit into any kind of genre. And then hopefully you blow up. Cool. But the the other side of it is that the internet is such an echo chamber that you really only want whatever you like. And you can find mm-hmm. whatever you like, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Who knows? Because it can definitely lead to, to not great people. But when, when you have that, because it's the same thing even for podcasts all the way through, you got to try to find your niche, right? You got to be able to carve your little space out. You're, like you're, you're the Homestead Act. You're just trying to get that, that little plot of, of land just to kind of put into the work and build around you. And, it, and I think it's so tough to be able to balance that out between wanting to artistically show out, but also wanting to gain a lot of traction at the same time. 
So you have yeah. to constantly like balance that out. And so my my other question for the writing process is with the singles that we're making that are in these different styles, are you thinking about, okay, these sets of songs can go over here. Maybe these sets of songs are an EP. Maybe these sets of songs are, are by themselves. Or are we just like, you know what? All of them can kind of work together. Who cares? I've, I've been thinking a lot about that. We've We've been going back and forth about how exactly we're going to present it, but I, 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 nothing's been nothing set in stone. But I will say that I've been putting a lot of thought into uh, how things are going to end up being released, and the order, and how how things work together, and how things visually making sure that like a set that you know maybe this is the up song, maybe this is the down song, maybe this is the major song, maybe this is the minor song, you know, maybe this is the fast one, this is the slow. I, I don't know. We'll see how how things play out, but. I will say to answer your question, yes, there's a lot of thought going into that for sure. And even with like some some songs being singles and some songs maybe being part of a collection, that doesn't mean that the the one single can't be its own little universe. It's something that I've been talking with the guys a lot about is like, look, you know, if this is gonna be a one-off single, like let's release merch, let's do a new photo shoot, let's do a video, let's do, let's change all the logos. Like, let's create its own little mini universe around this one song and like, let's push it out into the corners of the internet where that one song might just really connect with somebody. If we do an EP after that, you know, then, okay, a whole new universe, you know, just whatever, whatever we're going to do, just go, go all in on it and make sure that there's like a vibe around whatever is being released. And, you know, I think we can, we can add a lot of legitimacy to a, a single if you build a world around it. And, you know, an EP should already have some clout, especially right now. If we can't get in front of you and make you feel something with the raw power and energy, then we got to make you feel something with like, you know, the way we put the music in front of you. Get some pretty lights, some, uh, sure, flashes, sure. get some uh, ooh shinies. Yep. I, I do think that I, I see that in practice with the moment. You know, I, I see the full kind of relaunch of at least that's the way that I, I see it, right? Like a relaunch of the, the brand as a whole. You know, you're, you're getting that, that Phoenix and that, that's been around for a little bit, but, you know, coming up a little bit with, especially with, with knowing that, A, you've, you've lost members, that everybody is separate, that people are all around the country, that you're still able to like rekindle everything and keep going and consciously like getting a marketing campaign and like building that world around that song to me that's that's a phenomenal thing and in a, a way to really set the tone for what could be in the future yeah everything adam just mentioned the moment was proof of concept of that yeah like th- this is proving that we can i mean we had we actually wrote and recorded that back in 2016 um okay. so we, we've been sitting on it for 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 a while we wanted to put it out before the the election because it kind of just fit thematically so that that was something uh, important to us, and that that really pushed us to get it out as quickly as we, as we could. But it was a super DIY video. Like it was, there were total. I mean, a total of seven people on set. We uh, did all the editing ourselves. The video walls behind us, we made ourselves. It was literally the the crew was the four band members. We had the camera person and her assistant, and then we had the person from the venue that was running lights. That was it. Like period involved with the video. So that's the goal is to make something that's high quality, but ends up being, you know, easy to not, not easy. It wasn't easy, 
It was a long day. <laughs> yeah. It was a lot of editing. Uh, there's a lot of learning curves involved and learning programs and figuring stuff out. But that, that uh, like, like I say, that's proof of, of concept how we can come up with a video that has its own world, has its own logo, its own merch, yeah. all that. And yeah, uh, I, I think we're, we're, we're tracking one now that we're like, this should be the next one. I think we're going to see one more like that here in the near future where it's its own world, it's its own song before we kind of figure out what the next project is in full. Sure. But um, yeah, that, that's just letting you guys know we're still alive and there's a lot more to come. Yeah. The moment was almost a throwaway. We were sitting on it forever and we just decided, hey, like we can we can add a couple little things. Let's let's just send it to our mix engineers that we've worked with in the past. You know, we called them up, was like, yo, can you put some balls back in this song? And they were <laughs> like, we know exactly what to do with this. And we're like, good. And we were just so much happier with their interpretation of the song because it felt kind of like more like how we are live. Okay. Yeah. And like and like the the bigness we tried to put behind our performance. And, you know, I was just real thrilled that we just, like, I, I felt like at, at some points it was almost like flip a coin. Do we want to try it or do we just want to get onto something else? And we're like, let's just do something. And so we tried it and I, I don't know, the response has been really cool. And with it being so different, like a lot of my peers and things that hadn't really followed the band in the past, all of a sudden they're like, hey, that shit was a banger. Yeah. And I was like, well, you should come out to a show sometime. <laughs> when shows exist. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. So, you know, it, it's been cool. It was definitely tough, though, uh, filming with COVID regulations. Um, you know, everyone, when we weren't on stage, we were wearing masks, we were staying distance. Luckily, we were in a big nightclub, which had plenty of space to sprawl out. It's funny, though, at one point, actually, while, while they were filming me, the fire marshal came in. Oh, really? Because, yeah, the uh, venue we were in, it's on the second floor. Okay. And, uh, you know, we had all the haze machines going and we were playing it pretty loud because why not? <laughs> um, so yeah, we, we had all the lights going. So I'm sure this farm marshal was just like going by and he's like, are they doing a, are they having a party up there? <laughs> like right, what is going right. on? So I'm on stage and I see this dude like in, in my, in my periphery, like, you know, come in the room and he's got, you know, the big old jacket on and I'm like trying to ignore him because like you're being recorded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and then like, I don't really think much about it. He didn't say anything to anyone. He leaves. And then later, the uh, guy from the venue's like, "Yeah, that was the fire marshal." Wow! <laughs> like, he was just coming in to make sure we were following regulations, which we were. Yeah, I yep. mean, you don't really have uh, too many opportunities to play a full venue like that by yourselves, do you? You might as well just let everything yeah. go, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. M mad thanks to uh, Peabody's out in Virginia Beach. They hooked it up, and we are very, very grateful and thankful from from their owner, the staff, Aaron, who helped us too. Thank you guys. That, that was super. They, they, they really like, like you said, like to be able to like have a full empty venue where, you know, I saw the suicide machines on that oh, stage man. when I was a kid. I saw Mill and Colin on that stage when I was a kid, like, like, and to be able to be up there and be like filming a video is super cool. Definitely. Yeah. That that's amazing. I was going to say too. So I, I would also assume that you guys have learned a whole multitude of skills throughout everything, especially with like editing, like what you're talking about, being DIY the whole way through it. Because what you see a lot online too, all these little clip videos, like what you were kind of talking about with TikTok and stuff like that, they're just doing amazing things on their phones with editing. They're doing like the the quality and the 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 ability to do everything from the your phone just with one one piece of hardware 
is insane to me right out of the gate. And then you bring that up a level. You you look at streamers that are able to do a whole bunch of different stuff. You you look at what we were kind of doing with different backgrounds for like zooms and stuff. Like there, there's so many different things that you can throw in there to kind of differentiate yourselves. But I think the the skills that you're learning as far as still trying to make a high quality product for everything has to be also a rewarding experience too, right? Yeah, it, it was cool. Like I'd never edited a music video before the moment. So like there were a lot of times where I was like, I don't know how to do what I want to do. So <laughs> let me <laughs> let me go to YouTube and just see what you know other people are doing because we're it's so cool that we're in this world. And if you want to learn something, you can, you know, Google it and, <laughs> and learn it. Like uh and that that is it's pretty cool. But but yeah, you're right. It was pretty fulfilling at the end to look back at it and be like, yeah, we did that on our own. Like we could have hired somebody to do that. Like the original payment process, we 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 were looking at it, it would have been like seven hundred more dollars to have someone someone else edit it. And like I was like, I can do it. <laughs> like, let's try. What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> That's definitely how I've treated this show. Uh, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. Usually, it sounds pretty good, but uh, yeah, you know, it you're also your own worst critic. Like, I don't even think it's a matter of like, oh, isn't that nice and isn't it rewarding? I think that's the way to do it. Yeah. As, especially as far as saving money and as far like, you know, I've been learning a lot of the music marketing stuff uh, from, from YouTube over the last couple, couple of weeks, just trying to figure out like the most successful strategies that people are doing. And there's one guy I follow that, you know, he writes his own music, he records and, and mixes and masters his own music. He films his own like support, support videos, like in his studio, in his room. And then he makes entire YouTube channels like, full transparency. This is how I promoted this. This is like what I did as my campaign. This is the website that I used to build my album art. It's genius because he's he's like a complete one-stop entrepreneur because like he's making music and he's producing it and releasing it himself. And he's actually making a decent amount of money off of that. And then he's getting even more streams on his how-tos on YouTube and then he's selling consultations to people on hey, if you or like selling classes on how to do this. In addition, because he's self-taught himself on how to do everything, he's a one-stop shop and he's creating his own content on how to educate other people. Like it's 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 genius. Yeah. You know, if I was still living at home with mom and dad and you know, didn't have to worry about any uh, responsibilities, you know, like that that's exactly what I would try to do and rip off the band-aid and you know, down downgrade the size of my apartment and just do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and with the ultimate goal of building a life out of what you're most passionate about, right? So I follow a couple different YouTube content creators, uh, which is lame word, but it is it is what it is, right? So Andrew Wong is, is the one that I, I follow the most. And it's just amazing, kind of like what you're saying, you know, he produces hundreds of hundreds of songs, all of his own stuff. And then helps bring the knowledge piece to everybody that has access to YouTube, you know, and that that really levels the playing field for so many people because almost everybody has a cell phone, right? Almost everybody has one. Almost everybody at this point has an iPad or a computer or have access to it, right? So you have the ability to get any kind of artistic creativeness out of you just by watching these these clips and it's all with genuine 
intent, I feel like, to just share your stories and share your skills with everybody that's around you and really bring that up. You know, if if it wasn't for the internet, I wouldn't know anything that I'm doing. And I would be paying people to try to figure my life out because I can't. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. The the whole recording process, even picking out a mic is is insane. It's so nerve wracking. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I know that. I, I was uh, actually tracking bass right before we did this t- today here in my house. Yeah. Uh, which is like nothing. I've never done that for a record before. And you know, I I got a computer and I got Pro Tools and I got an interface and I plugged it in and I had my preamp and boom, like <laughs> sounded good. And I, I but sometimes I gotta go to YouTube and. How do I set up a new track in Pro Tools? Because maybe I don't know how to do that. Yeah. There are all these options. What do these things mean? (laughs) And I think y'all bring up two interesting little points involved with that. I really believe that there's enough listeners to go around for all all the bands out there. You know, some of the bands that like our buddies and dead friends and our buddies in Little Death, you know, we've been communicating very openly about what we're trying to do and and what's been working and what hasn't been working. And like, we're, we're, we're getting back into kind of where we were a number of years ago, where the scene was very, like our local scene was very plugged in and people were sharing best secrets left and right. And I think we've seen like with how expansive like the streaming culture is, like there's plenty of people out there. Like, like you just go slice out your slice, I'll slice out my slice, we'll be fine. And also the other side of the aspect is like, you know, I, I think I touched on this a little bit earlier, but you can't just be a musician. Like right. I mean, you can, but you have to be really, really fucking good to <laughs> just be a musician where everyone says, I'm going to drop everything I'm doing and I'm just going to build your career r- around you. Like, no, like I, like I think about the old 60 year old guys that used to play in the corner of smoky bars and like they'd complain about like, I just want to be a musician. I don't want to be on Facebook or MySpace. <laughs> like, you know, I just want to write music. And then like now, like, and I catch myself saying the same damn shit being like, why the hell do I have to learn TikTok? <laughs> you know why do I have to post stories on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter, and then do reels? But you know, like that's the name of the game. We're 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 entertainers and we're content creators, and you know you got to go where the people are. So like you know, you, once again, you have to evolve, and you can't just be a musician. I mean, you can't you have to be a brand. You know, yeah. How do you think that you continue to stay true to yourself while doing that? You, you have to think about those things. Like you have to say, what's our voice? Like, what's our message? And, you know, what, I actually was going to talk to Chris about that later this week is because like, I think our message and our voice is different since the pandemic. Yeah. yeah. You know, with the music that we're writing now, it's like, I think we have a different point to make than, than what we did a year ago. You know, that's, that's something that's important to put right up front. Yeah. I, I think the answer to the question of, you know, how, how do you, you know, stay true to yourself is really with this new stuff is, I, I don't really think about that any, anymore. Like, like I, I, I can write as a different subject entirely and it may even contradict something I've written in a different song. But the fact is, it's what the moment, you know, inspired. It's, it's not literally not that song, but it's, <laughs> it's, what, <laughs> it's, like, it, it's, it's what came out. And, you know, I, I, I'm going to own up to it. One thing, again, with songwriting and, and how I've been able to open the gates is that, you know, I've accepted that I, I write fiction. Okay, yeah. I do, it doesn't have to be a real thing that happened to me, and that's okay. You know, and, and that allows me to get more personal because I'm telling a story of a person I've made up, and I, I can tap into their emotions the same way someone who's writing a TV show or a book or a movie. or You know, you know it's, 
it's no different. I, 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 I do get realness in, in music and why that's so, so important to people, but, um, I'm just, I just want to write good, good stuff, regardless of if it's, <laughs> you know, you know, from my real experiences, certain people may be put off by that, but if it's good, it's good. Yeah. That's what I was talking to someone about the, the other day, you know, good, good is good. Yeah. <laughs> Something I think people don't talk enough about with that regard too, is so many bands are focused with, I want to sound legit. Yeah. They chase the sound. They want to sound like their their favorite records when they grow up, when they were growing up, or like, and so they will dumb down and try to cram their stuff into their into a box to be legit, to look successful, to look big already. Once again, it goes back to my point of much more impor- important to be memorable than it is to be perfect. Like if you would just write your damn song and stop worrying about does this sound like a real rock song. Or does this sound like a real pop song? Or does this sound like stop stop worrying about does the guitar sound sound good? Or is it is this the guitar tone that the song needs? Like that you want it to sound like? And I think that we fall into that for a little while where we we're like we're so worried about sounding legit. You know, like I think of no offense to bands like Mayday Parade, but you know, like, you know, it's there was a, a like a window. Uh, where a lot of those pop rock bands were like all going to the same producer and all using the same guitars and all using the same heads. And like, it's boring. Like your ears, like there was a one record in particular that I was like, actually, when I stop and focus all these songs, they're all really good, but my ears are tired because <laughs> yeah. I've heard that I've heard all these tones before. Yeah. And I've heard all these preamps before. And I've heard this way of mixing. Just write your damn song. The the metal scene especially is so homogenous, I feel like, where I would book metal bands trying to have diversity a little bit in there, but at the end of it, they're all it's all the same. And to your point, your ears are just tired and you're you're kind of bored of seeing the same thing over and over again because it's it is that self-emulation where you're trying to like pull from your favorite bands, you're trying to pull from what you see and not really pulling the good parts that speak to you, but you're just trying to say, oh, they are successful. They're doing this. I should be doing that too. And I, I've never seen it more prevalent than in metal bands for, for myself. Pop punk bands, for sure, that's, that's been, been a thing here and there. But I feel like there's always been some kind of envelope pushing with that, whether you are bringing in breakdowns, whether you're bringing in different sounds, whether you're trying to be more polished, whatever, right? But for whatever reason, heavy music for me really fell into that. And it is definitely one of my bigger concerns is you're never really breaking free from it and never really showing your true self, I feel like. That's why we love metal shows. (laughs) I was just going to say the same thing, Adam. We used to take advantage of this so much back in the day. You remember that West Virginia show? I I, I I was specifically thinking about that show. It was so good. there's like eight metal bands, nine metal bands on this show and one band that is not a metal band and that's us. And we're right in the middle of, of the show. And oh, we that's look a down and we're like, we're like, this is perfect. Yes. This is perfect. Cause these people are going to be tired of hearing the same song, the same, I mean, same style over and over and over again, breakdowns, breakdowns, breakdowns. We decide to not play any of our heavy stuff, go in there, Pop blaring, just the poppiest stuff we can throw out. Oh, that's them. amazing. And they loved it. Mm-hmm. Ate it up. Like, oh, we we, we still best. went hard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We went hard, but we played our stuff. Yeah. We, yeah. Like, we did. We, we matched their energy with, with our music, I guess. Yeah. 
but we're like, well, there's no way we're going to be heavy at, like them. So <laughs> let's, let's just be us, put our best foot forward. Like, let's not place. Maybe we have some heavier, obscure stuff in the back of our heads sure. that we're probably going to mess up if we try to play. Like, let's just do our set. Let's just get up there and do us. And yeah, it, it went great. It went great. I think the unspoken secret is that most metalheads love pop <laughs> or like yeah. punk guys. There, There's the cliche of the punk guy doing acoustic pop after he finally retires from from actually playing three chords. Right. So there's there's always there's always that uh, like Kevin seconds always stood out for me of seven seconds where his goal after he stopped playing punk was to write the perfect pop song. Like that's that's what he wanted in life, which is just insane to me because you're looking at a hardcore punk band and the leader of a hardcore punk band, and you're just like, you shouldn't like the things that you like. Why do you <laughs> why do you like the things that you like? You are pigeonholed in this one specific genre and this one specific look. Why aren't you doing the same thing over and over again? That's really interesting, actually. Yeah, I I find myself having a lot of those same thoughts. Like, you know, I when I was first writing songs when I was a, a teenager, I was inspired by you know, No Use for Name, yeah. No Effects, and you know that 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 pop punky kind of kind of music. As I got older, I got into a lot of different genres and a lot of different stuff. And I, I think you know, fifteen, sixteen year old would have me, me would have been not the happiest with some of the new songs I've written. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you would have been like songs of hip hop or pop elements, you know, what, what is going on here? Like, but I, I think 16 year old me was just, you know, closed minded. And, you know, like, I, I feel like being more open to different styles is going to be more beneficial for all of us in the long run. For sure. Adam, Adam brought up brand new earlier. And for me, that's a, a band that has always kind of pushed their envelope too, no matter which way, you know, you, you look at it. Cause the progression that they've done and like science fiction that came out four or five years ago, whatever it is, that is such a, like a departure from some of the other stuff that they were doing. And it's one of my favorite records that they've done. So it, it always speaks to you a little bit where you're at in life, right? So whether you're the, the voice that you're trying to find, the message that you're trying to find gets redefined however long that you've been doing these projects. So you, you look at, you guys have been doing this for a decade and a half. You've had members go different ways. You've had college. You've had life experiences. All of this where you're, you're so separated, but also able to bring those experiences back to you guys and into a creative outlet that not only are you expressing yourselves creatively, but now you're able to kind of look at it more of, okay, how do I get the most eyes on this too? And how do I do this in a, a specific way to like not feel so disingenuous to the people that are out there, right? So I, I really, I really like that. Yeah, you, you, you summed it up exactly. Like our goal moving forward is, you know, we, we've been a band fifteen years, sixteen years in, in, in August. We don't want that to be for nothing. Like it, it's, it's no secret if you followed us, you know, we're not a huge band by any means. We, we've <laughs> We've not, <laughs> you know, but we, we want to make this worthwhile and, you know, we, we want to get to the point where we're able to make livings doing this. And, you know, I, it's, it's going to be a tough journey ahead, but the way we've been looking at this next stage of the band is like a complete rebirth, like a complete reimagining of everything that we do. There was one point we were considering changing the band's name, like straight up. 
the fact is, you know, the people we met over the years, the communities, the the uh, bonds we built, like we don't want to lose those. And we don't want people to think that different. It's the same people and it's going to be great. People are going to love it. I think we're going to have the potential to get more eyes on the product than ever. And that's uh, really exciting for all four of us right now. Yeah. Uh, more eyes and the and the right eyes, you know, it, just finding finding that right universe, that right universe, and like we're we're gonna be better at, in these next couple of years. Like that's what I'm really excited about. Is not just well, let's blast this out to the radio and see who bites. You know, it's like yeah. like no, like with all of the technology that's out there and all of the the intelligent workings behind like modern music marketing and all that and like all what all these YouTubers are doing. It's like they're getting really good at just finding that that one kid way across the country that will really like this band and like is jamming out in, in, in his room, like doing homework. Like there are ways that you can find that kid. If that kid is also a little nerdy and might like some strings with his, with his pop rock or whatever, like, like, and that's, what's exciting is like, it's not just a matter of like, you know, like I'm talking about slicing the pie and like our slice of the pie is going to be different than whatever your next uh band that's that's clawing tooth and nail for listeners but like what's important is to me is not like getting millions upon millions upon millions of people but getting the right people the ones that are gonna join the discord the ones that do want to talk to us about wandavision on a on a tuesday night like the ones that that do want to ask chris a, a billion questions about like the writing process and like that do feel like you know, like the number, like the number of people that have come to us and said that they were having a bad day and they listened to us and they felt better. Those are the people we want to find. Like Chris is saying, it's a new, new beginning. It's new process. We're really excited about it. And we're, we're excited to be bringing new people into the fold of like who we are. We might be, we might be older. We might be wiser. We might be better. We might be in a different place than where we were when we were 18 years old, but our heart's still the same. We we want to go on on stage, make a lot of good good noise up there, yeah. get hype, and like make people happy, and share that with share our art with those people to make their days better. And like that that's been the same thing from 2005 than it is right now. Yep, and we're we're proud of everything we've done and and where we've come. You know, we've made it further than almost any band we we know personally. Like the, all the bands we came up with. We've outlasted all yeah. of them, you know, but we, we realize the, you know, ceiling is so much higher and we need aiming different ways. So that's really what we're excited about and what we want to be doing. Adam's right. It's about more connections and meeting more people and tooting horns or whatever that was. Yeah. I think <laughs> he's just celebrating trucks. that he's right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so we were trying, trying to get the truck back there to honk. <laughs> oh, that, that, that reminds you of your childhood, doesn't it? Yeah. Do, do people do that anymore? I, I you're not seen. allowed. Like, you're not allowed? Yeah, it's illegal. At least that's what I remember. Like, you, you weren't allowed to, like, get them to uh, do the horn thing. Probably, like, cause some accident somewhere. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. That's super lame. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, people can't drive anyway, so it, it is it is what it is. Yeah. Save us, Elon. <laughs> Let the cars drive themselves. <laughs> oh man, I'm so excited to be able to take a nap and not run into anything. Like that's that's gonna be great. Like I've fallen asleep before. Yeah. Yeah, every time I've been taking a nap when I'm driving, bad things happen. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that that's the future. Taking a nap while driving and not running into anything. That's that's Oh yeah. 
what do you guys envision for the the future of this band? What do you what do you want to accomplish even this year? Um, this year, you know, we we definitely want to get whatever we're doing next rolling. For the next few months, it's going to be preparing and studio days, and we're still socially distanced, which is difficult. But you know, shots are coming in. You know, we're yeah. <laughs> Adam's gotten his 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 first one, and we're excited to be able to you know get back together and. We're lucky we have a studio set up where I can come in from the garage and I don't have to see anybody else and I can go right into the vocal booth and, and do my thing. So we're, we're, we're finding ways to, to make it work. We're recording from home and I, I, I see us dropping something in, in, in the next few months and by the end of the year, hopefully having a, a, a full idea out there of what what's coming next. Yeah, I, I think as far as goals, it, it's, it's less about pl- plateaus. You know, because we were signed to Little Heart Records for a, a good while before uh, Puckett passed away, the, the the owner. And you know, like, you know, we're we're older. You know, we're not hurting for cash in the way that we were when we right. were younger. I mean, we could we could always use more, but like, you know, the the record label model of just going into exorbitant debt in order to fund a record where you're, they're going to send you to the most expensive guy that they have, you know. You were talking to us about it earlier about learning new skills and and self-producing and you know th- that model just doesn't work anymore and you know like we're not in that 18 year old mindset of like oh we just got to get signed and then it's all downhill from there and, you know <laughs> like for for us it's the stuff we want to do yeah like i'm right there with chris like I, i'm ready for for the next new piece of music to be out there i want people to hear something that's new you know, I want to, I want to see people react to it. Like, that's always my thing is I just want to see people react to what, what we're doing. And, you know, just, and really, I think this year is going to be about a new workflow, just new, like, what can we do? That's, that's a new experience based around the, these little universes that were these little pocket song universes that we're creating. That might be my favorite outlook song is creating a universe off of each song. I, I really, really like that. And because it does bring like everything together, right? So you have the the marketing aspect, you have the the emotional aspect of the song, you have the the sound obviously itself, and then just the the whole launch about it and building just the 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 universe around you and getting everybody like bought into what you're doing. I really love that. Uh, I don't think I've heard that really before either. That approach to it of of every song being almost a final product, but there's just so many different things that you can do with that one song. It doesn't have to just be an auditory experience. It can be a visual experience. It can different, different things. Aesthetic experience too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Limited edition merch, merch that's related to it that, you know, maybe, maybe it's all, we have a handmade element. You know, there's so many things that you can do to make something its, its own little final project. You know, it's own it's own little final thing, and you know, people aren't buying CDs anymore. So you know, you have to put some kind of tangible substance around the song, whether that be just in the the mission of the song or like the the meaning of the album art, or whether it be like the the actual merch or whatever you're you're shipping uh, across the country or around the world to whoever is going to be receiving this. Like you you want to have something that's adding value to to the experience of listening to that song. Yeah. And that's going to be the fun little game that we're going to be playing over the next couple of months <laughs> is like, you know, how do we create more stuff to kind of fl- flesh out that, that vibe and that experience that we're talking about. Right. Cause, cause at the end of the day, 
is a business. It's all about creating new revenue streams, whether that's from streaming or from merch sales or, or from whatever it is. Like you, you, you got to create them. Like, and Scott just had his second kid, our dr- drummer. Adam has like a real man job. <laughs> like we, we, <laughs> Uh, I, I have no backup plan, so I'm still pushing. Um, but the, the thing is, like, if if we don't create ways of like making actual legit money, like this just isn't going to go anywhere. It's it's just going to fall 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 apart. Yeah. So that's what this push is all about. Like, I mean, I I know that's like putting it frankly. You know, people don't like to talk about the you know the, the money side, but that is the goal. Like to make it so that we could live off of this and do this full time and put more effort into it. Right now, we're all pulled apart. By so many things, obviously the pandemic has made that even worse. But man, I just can't wait to get to the point where we can actually, you know, spend more effort, more energy on this. And I, I think we're we're getting there. I think we've got things lined up right to hopefully get us there sooner. With the yeah. recording uh, remotely, you feel more free writing, or do you, well because mostly own voice. We self-produced our last recordings. The the moment was was self self-produced. Um, Shallow Water was as well, and. Um, I, I think we're lucky that we've got Ed in the band who is an, an incredible studio engineer and knows what he's doing in ways that I, like you were talking earlier, like like picking a mic is so hard. Yeah. And Ed is the guy who will be like, oh, we got an acoustic violin coming in. Oh, I got to get this one and you know put it here. And that's something that's, you know, I mean, huge, huge for us to have. So I, I don't worry as much about not having, you know, another voice. It's one of those things where every time we've gone into a studio with a producer, I've always been like, I want to get their ideas. And like both times that we used a producer, they're like, nah, these are cool. <laughs> and we're just like, okay. <laughs> so we got really used to just being like, all right, we can do this on our own. Uh, I, I'm very much uh, inspired by Death Cab for Cutie. The yeah. fact that you know they've always, until their, their most recent record, I, I believe they're using it, but they've always self-produced. Self, self I was listening to Ben Gibbard speak and he's like, yeah, typically a song, I write it. That's the first revision. I bring it to the band. Everyone learns their parts and that's the second revision. And he said that the more revisions we do after that, the worse the song tends to get. Uh, To answer your question, I know I've gone kind of around here. Uh, No, I I don't feel like uh, I'm losing much by doing it on on my own. I I feel like the idea exists. I've accepted that this is how it goes and it sounds fine. And I'm going to get it out there and track it and we're going to move on. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that- I mean, you might, you might want to talk to, to Gabe, our, our guitar player for a long, long, long time. Who's now in Austin and starting a, another project called fortune hearts, but they've legitimately not, not been in the same room. Like that's insane. They're using some, some, some cool stuff where like the drummer will be drumming at his place and, Gabe will be engineering it from his computer like 30 minutes down the road. Like the way they have everything wired up and like the technology they're using, like they can track virtually and all be in different rooms and different houses. I mean, maybe not right now with all, all of sure. Austin being frozen over, <laughs> yeah. but like, but you know, like people are doing that now, you know, you, we could, if, if we, we wanted to, you know, I'm not, I'm not tech savvy as far as recording, but you know, if, <laughs> if I wanted to learn and, and pull up all those YouTube videos, I could be tracking my parts and my place. And Chris, you we could be tracking your parts in your place. I could be tracking his parts in his place. And that's the world that we live in now. But yeah, one of the points that you raised is still going to be valid for a lot of people of like, how do we still keep our heart in it when we're all like in our own little bubbles? 
Yeah. Which you know, hasn't been a problem for us, but for some people that like need that feel, that might be a, a, a problem. Yeah. I know like at, at a base level for me in a learning environment, I cannot learn virtually very well. I need that physical connection of a classroom to be able to bounce ideas in real time and see that that full piece in there. And it just does not hit nearly as well as me just like reading stuff off a, a, a document on a, a screen and then just trying to type into a chat box of everything. Just it's not it's not yeah. the chemistry is just not there and it's not conducive for for me to learn. Now, unfortunately, that's how all of our trainings are with with work wise. So like how do I how do I get better for myself and better adapt to the environment that I'm in? And that's that's the biggest thing that I, I think is going to be a hard thing for a lot of the traditionalists, like what you were talking about, where they just want to be a musician. Well, unfortunately, you have to be able to be a musician behind a webcam and not get any kind of feedback behind it because you, you can't yeah. get that, that initial applause, applause and claps because there's, there's no one around you. There's a chat box. That's it. <laughs> so it is, it is a, a, weird, a weird world. I do appreciate the fact that everybody is willing to learn, though, because that willingness to get better and to like, better yourselves with those skills that are around you you know, that's the biggest thing, no matter what happened. So if you're able to continue to be okay with the, the world that's around you and finding what you're, you're developing over time, you know, that's, that's the ticket. And that's, that's the, the hard thing. Like you're talking about having to step out of your, your personal boundaries yeah. to try to get better with, with learning the programs. Like that's what it's all about. You know, like I, I am that person that Adam describes that, I just want to play music. Why do I got to do all this stuff? Adam knows full well. Like that is me. Like perfect world. I would sit in the van, walk on stage, walk off, get back in the van. Like I'm just, I'm just a super introverted person, but I've, you know, worked 15 years to be more social and try to talk to people, even though like, I'm like, what am I going to say? I don't know these people. What am I going to say? I'm like constantly like running through my head. Um, but you know, it's what works. And you got to get outside of your, your comfort zones if you want to have any chance. And that's the weird dichotomy of being a singer, right? That you have to be out and open and because your instrument is your own person. And the dichotomy of just like wanting to shut yourself off from the rest of the world when you're not doing that is, uh, is a weird thing. Like if I'm not talking to you guys, if I'm not doing an interview, I'm alone and I am quiet and I like it. It is great, yeah. <laughs> but it's also like my, my job is a sales job. So it's a weird thing where it's, it's always a show. It's always being that extroverted person and then trying to incorporate that into your own personality to where you're not just a, a curmudgeon uh, yelling at people to get off your lawn, right? What worked for me is, you know, playing a character. Like I'm not myself at a show before the show, during the concert, afterwards. That's not normal me. That's me like playing this character, this, you know, extroverted, let's make friends, let's party, let's do things. Cause yeah, like you, like I'm, I'm not the person who like feeds off of social energy. Like I'm not, I, I, I have Twitter and, uh, and Facebook, but I'm not like, I, if I post something, I, I don't have like alerts set on any right. program because I don't care. Like, I don't, I really just don't care, you know? So I, it's weird. Cause that drives so many like of the front 
person type yeah. personalities, but not me. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think that will ever be me, which is good because I, I feel like we're too connected, man. <laughs> but see, where where would want to just be the musician? Chris is the person that will teach himself anything. Like I love all the extra extra crap associated with being in a band. Like I love all the social interaction and like, you know, I'm, I'm the guy that will watch every band before we play just so that somebody is watching. Yeah. You know, I, I like to be on stage a hundred percent of the time. Although as I get a, a little older, like that gets old, you know, like real life is hard. Um, yeah. You get but, some uh, creaky <laughs> knees and some messed up backs. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I I've always been all about the, the social aspect of that, but unlike prison, like I, I, I hate having to learn new things because I hate <laughs> sucking at things. Yeah. So it's like, I, once I get into it, I'm like, okay, this is kind of cool. But like that, that's where you and I are exact opposites. Like I'll, I'll do all this stuff, but I do not want to have to suck at something for a while until I get good at it. It's the worst. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I just, I find learning new programs really fun and motivating. And I, I, I don't know for, for me, it's just like super fun learning shortcuts. Like what's this shortcut? Oh, great! Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've been uh, I've been recording in Studio One for years now, and I don't know any of the shortcuts because I refuse to learn. I just click on with the mouse, and I just oh, I just no. go for it. I just wing Workflow, it. Workflow, bro. Whatever, man. Workflow. Like it's just two <laughs> tracks. It's fine for the most part. It's okay. Oh, like well, I guess. Yeah. yeah, I don't have to deal with twenty different tracks on on one one recording. It's just a really long recording that I just have to listen to over and over and hate myself through it. <laughs> yeah, video editing would be so much slower if I didn't know, know my, my, my shortcuts. It, it changes everything. See, the, the nice thing for me is that no one needs to see my dumb face, so it's, it's perfect. I don't have to record video at all. And even when, if I ever decide to, it's going to be rough because I'm a perfectionist for the most part, audio-wise. It's going to be very difficult to be able to do that with a video, I feel like, to be able to cut it and not look like you're actually doing hard cuts the entire thing, like I am with the audio. So gotcha. I don't know. It, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be rough. You just got to let yourself do it, just like the YouTubers do. You know, like they, they don't care if their mouth lines up in between cuts or if like they're even in the same spot. They just, they just do it because it's, it's like what we were saying earlier, as long as the audio is good. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm kind of sad though because I I I figured people were gonna see the video, and now I'm sad because oh, yeah. I've even seen your your cats or cats <laughs> yeah, yeah. behind you. Yeah, and, uh, and it's super cute. I was now people aren't gonna be able to see that. Well, the the nice thing about having the the microphone really close to my face is that they can't hear her just yelling at me the <laughs> entire time. So this this whole conversation, <laughs> she's been trying to yell at me to get attention, but then also just biting my hand while I'm trying to pet her because I'm not paying enough attention to her. Yeah, oh. she's she's a little bit of a, a diva, um, to say the least. But let's. Uh, I want to wrap up with, with two questions for each of you. The, the main thing that I want to know is what have each of you learned most about yourselves throughout your journey? I'd say for me, um, the biggest thing, and I've kind of touched on it a few times throughout this, is just like this whole notion of you need to be this or you anything you need to fit into this exact mold it's just archaic it's outdated it's not going to get anyone anywhere and i'm I, I feel like in in the past i i would let what the band wanted us to be be more important than what i wanted the band to be that's kind of a weird way of saying it but 
I, I can't let what other people think we should be determine what we are. Yeah. And that's really the, the most important thing is like, just all bets are off. Like we can do whatever. And that's been the most important thing learning. We don't have to be anything. We are everything. I love it. Yeah. Did, was that was that confusing enough, Adam? Do you have anything to do? No, I mean, because mine was was kind of similar in a different way. If you would have told 13-year-old me or 16-year-old me or whatever that I, I was going to be in a band for this amount of time and get to do the stuff that we had the pleasure of doing, I would have not believed you. I just wouldn't have ever <laughs> seen my path going that way. You know, I kind of touched on it earlier about being able to find the connections and different, very disparate parts of my life. And like, I think it's just been so cool to like be existential and to just say, no, this is who I'm going to be. This is who we are going to be. And to just really lean into like our individualism and who we are. Like, I felt, feel like our generation got fed a rash of bullshit about you need to go to college in order to be successful and you have yeah. to join and work for a big firm and you have to climb up this corporate ladder and you have it because you have to be successful. And like me personally with, within the context of audio strobe light, like I, I said, fuck that, you know, started working in restaurants just to fuel audio strobe light because I was looking around and paying attention to what I was doing every single day in, in the restaurants and with audio strobe light gotten to like fully flesh out this very one one of a kind person and, and this very one of a kind band and like you know from that very first moment where flick took me to buy girl jeans it's like you're gonna you're gonna create your character like i've been evolving that character for 15 years thanks to chris and the rest of the guys like you know getting to choose like who if you could be a, a person on stage who would you want to be and then doing that every day and then people come up to me and say why can you like, how do you pull off like these things that you wear, or, like these things that you do? And it's like, well, at first it was a character. And then it was like, I want to be that character. And that, then it's like, well, I've been doing this character for 15 years. It's kind of like, where does it stop? Right. You know, like choosing that, that road less traveled, like leaning into the band, leaning into a character. It's just everything's so very different than what I thought it would be at this point in our lives. And I wouldn't fucking change a damn thing about it. Like it, like it, it might've seemed like kind of, chasing the shiny ball it's right in front of me at the moment but like we chose everything that we've done and we've chose what we wanted to write about how we wanted to play it and it's uniquely ours and i'm so grateful to be an individual and so grateful to be a part of this band that you know like i think most people would agree like even if you've only seen us once and it, even if it wasn't a wasn't our best show like you're gonna fucking remember us <laughs> and like the number of killer shows we've had definitely outnumber the, the worst shows and I will take it because you know, that, that energy is palpable. So kind of a similar idea, I guess, but you know, just the, the ability to just existentially like, yeah, you can choose your life and choose like how your art will inform your life and how your life will inform your art. But you have to be willing to say, yes, I'm choosing to, to control that instead yeah. of just letting it be what it is. Were you ever afraid of your persona, your character overtaking your own individualism? I think Adam and I have both benefited from that character taking over our personalities. Yeah, because <laughs> I was really shy. I was always very personable, but very shy. Okay. 
you know, it's like when you practice public speaking and then eventually it's not so bad. You know, when I'm not doing band stuff, I do a lot of public speaking too. Yeah, I don't know. Like I would have chosen to be the same damn person. It's just like, I want to be a cool version of myself. I want to be a a confident version of myself. And I want to, you know, like, I mean, I feel bad for people that want to be someone different because, you know, I'm I'm proud of the person that I am. I'm proud of who we are as a band. And I don't want us to change because someone else tells us to do that. But I want our band to be the strongest and most talented and and version of ourselves. And I want to be the most dynamic and interesting and capable version of myself. But like, you know, I think we do that with careers. We do that with like our relationships. We do that with our friendship, but I don't think we do that with our behaviors and like the way we dress and like the way we talk to people and like the way we enter a room. But I think maybe more of us should do that. I know for me with the different experiences that I've had with the different careers that I've had, whether it's booking shows and and being kind of in the, like the background of it, while always still being kind of in charge, but not know that everybody knowing that I'm in charge, if that makes sense. And just trying to have the art speak for itself and me just trying to be the, the bolster of that, right? The foundation of that. I take that into my own career with that too, is try to get my team elevated rather than myself elevated, which is also a detriment to myself a little bit. And I'm now trying to relearn that okay, it's okay if I like treat myself a little bit better and do things for myself. And eventually, the things that I'm doing for myself will translate to whatever team that I'm a part of, and then everything gets better. So you're, the, the product ends up being better because you're treating yourself better. And that's, that's something that I've developed over the past about five, 10 years to try to figure my life out a little bit more because it's a hard thing to, to kind of contend with to put on a show, to put on you know, this, this aura of a person that you want to be, but still feel disconnected from it. And when you're finally embracing it and you're finally like, okay, this is actually a part of myself and I can be this person all the time, it makes everything better around you. Absolutely. What do you think keeps you driven to pursue music? If you asked all four of us that question, you'd probably get four different answers. My, uh, mine is, you know, love for the music, number one. I love performing. I love being on stage. You know, when you're doing a DIY tour, like you're spending 23 and a half hours of your day, just get that suck for the most part, just getting you back to that 30 minutes that you're on, on that stage. Cause it is so worth it. That's for me it. Like I, I, I want to keep performing. I wouldn't be maybe as fulfilled if I spent the rest of my life playing for 20 people in basements. But I, I think I'd be more fulfilled than if I had an office job for all that time. Yeah. You know? Oh, absolutely. So. For me, it's about the people first. I love our music and it's important to me that it's ours. You know, it's important that we're not playing covers and we're not playing, you know, that we're playing something that's authentic and real. That's, that's hugely important to me. But like, you know, I think I, I would be disappointed if like I just, if we just got together and just never shared it with anybody and, yeah. and, and played. Like creating something is cool for me. Creating something is even cooler when it makes an impact. And like uh, as a socialite, as a, an empath, as like a, an extrovert, like it has to be witnessed in order to be a thing. So like, you know, that's why this pandemic for me has been a nightmare. It's like, we can't, 
like it's so much harder to share it, share it with people. But you know, we're we're trying to find ways like sharing the like we did a a Zoom party after party after rele- releasing the music video, and you know that for me was extremely important. Like because we got to talk to all of our VIPs about what they thought and like even things that had nothing to do with the music video. Yeah. You know, but like and but feel that excitement and feel like you know people get something out of that. Like that's where it all pays pays off for me. But I, I agree with with Chris that I would still rather play in front of twenty people in a basement than <laughs> have a same old bullshit office job. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I love it. That I think that's it, guys. That that was great. So thank you very much. That was awesome. Yeah, it was.